everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Yet Your Favorite Swimbait Podcast, Scales and Tails, episode 83 today. Episode 83, and we are joined by a very special gentleman who, who's kind of that uh, that tournament guy, but he also goes out and fishes swimbaits, and I'm sure we'll hear a lot of cool stories about you know fishing tournaments with swimbaits, maybe, maybe winning some cash too. So we are joined by Mr. Sean Thornton tonight, who is a Apex Angler on Instagram. If you guys don't, I think it's Apex underscore Angler, if I'm correct. Apex Angler 27. 27. Okay, perfect. And as always, I'll put that in the show description so you guys can follow him if you don't already. But we are joined by Mr. Sean tonight, and we are going to talk about, you know, all things tournament fishing, swim bait fishing, what it's like. You are on the East Coast, right out there, around there? I'm, I'm right on the border of Pennsylvania and Jersey in the okay. Pocono Mountains of Delaware Water Gap. Okay. So... Oh, yeah. I guess that would be considered like Northeast PA. I'm not originally from Pennsylvania. I'm originally from Delaware. Um, so grew up with shallow fishing, a lot of shallow fishing for largemouth, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of saltwater fishing. Oh, when I moved yeah. up here, everything was totally different, man. It, it, it was, uh, it was a whole new learning curve. But, uh, yeah, I, I love it up here. It's, it's, it's a, a quaint little area, you know, everybody's super nice mm -hmm. aside from the, uh, other tournament anglers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, your sworn enemy. I mean, that's, that's pretty much what it comes down to. <laughs> so it does. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess getting right into it. Uh, so you, you just kind of touched on where you grew up and stuff. Where did the passion for fishing start for you? I mean, we had kind of joked before we started recording, but kind of uh, elaborate for the people, and then we'll kind of go from there, from where it started to where we're at today with you. Oh man, I guess it was uh, it was spoken into my uh, mother's belly. If you want to get into the joking side of it, um, my dad. You know, he, he's always been a bass fisherman as well as, you know, an offshore fisherman, striper, flounder, tuna, mahi-mahi, stuff like that. Um, there was my grandmother, who's no longer with us, um, actually had my first fishing rod in the waiting room as I was being delivered. Oh, my. <laughs> so my father still has that rod. I'd love to get it from him one day, but it's buried away with all of the citations from when I was a kid and all the fishing pictures from when I was a kid, you know, everything from saltwater to fresh. And, uh, yeah, man. Uh, like I said, my dad, you know, he, he and his buddy fished a lot of small local tournaments in Delaware, as well as the upper Chesapeake. Um, you know, that's where a lot of the bigger tournaments are held. Um, if you're a Delaware resident, you know, if you want to fish a large tournament with, you know, 50 to 80 plus boats, mm -hmm. you head to the upper Chesapeake out of Anchor Marine. Uh, that's where the Ike Foundation tournament is held every year, as well as, uh, a lot of the, um, what is it? Uh, Chester County Bassmaster opens, which uh, tend to be large fields of boats. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I plan on fishing a couple of those this year, but yeah, I was, I mean, I was bred in the fishing. Uh, my dad had me out. He's got pictures actually on my very first birthday at like, I believe it was like midnight or 1 a.m. The timestamp on the old photo is, uh, you know, old, he used to carry an old 35 millimeter with him back then when you used to have to change the rolls and yeah, sometimes yeah. you would, you would, you know, you would mess up your whole reel of, you know, pictures if you opened it in the sunlight yeah. <laughs> or did something, something the wrong way. It's not like these days where you just pull out your phone and take a picture, but, uh, yeah, my, my very first birthday, he had me out there and I caught my first bass on a, uh, spinner bait, I believe it was. And it's just, it progressed from there. Um, I have faint memories, but my father has pictures of me when I was like three in the backyard. I believe my grandmother even had videos of it, you know, learning how to flip a bait caster. My dad had a couple different buckets set up at, at you know, different uh, lengths, you know, one yeah. would be at like, you know, 10 feet one would be at like 30 and then the other would be way across the yard that i'd have to cast to and that's what i'd do i'd just be out there all <laughs> afternoon i don't know whether that was something just to occupy me while he did his thing or or whether it was him really trying to get me into it i know that he noticed that i was all about fishing like even from a young age I'll I'll send you pictures after we're done with this, but I've yeah. got pictures of me when I was, you know, like two and three on the back of the boat, dressed head to toe and, you know, BASS gear and fishing yeah. shirts and stuff like that. Dang. I, I just, I've always been about fishing and, uh, but yeah, he had me in the backyard practicing. I started fishing tournaments with him. I believe when I was five or six, we won our first tournament when i was seven him and i together and uh it just you know it it kept evolving from there i mean with with the gear with the baits you know the line everything just evolved as well as my style i you know i i went through a lot of different phases of fish that i would target um mm -hmm. Living living in that area in Delaware, we had access to freshwater. We had access to inshore saltwater. We had access to surf fishing. Um, and then, you know, my father has always had boats that we could run offshore in, um, as well as friends that, you know, had offshore boats that were capable of running, you know, out to target tuna mahi mahi stuff like that yeah um unfortunately i never got to do a trip with my with my father offshore tuna fishing but i got to experience that with my grandfather on my mother's side when i was like 12 years old um mm -hmm. we ran offshore for the first time but but yeah man i would do everything from you know just going down to the creek down the street from my house and 
catching little creek chubs and trout, stuff like that. Jump on my bicycle, ride a mile down the street to this pond and, you know, throw old hula poppers for largies. And, you know, we didn't really have smallmouth in Delaware. So I didn't really get into the smallmouth fishing until we started uh, traveling up to like the Susquehanna. You know, the upper bay, you'd have to run up the Susquehanna. Yeah. Uh, not that far, but they tend to stay up the river a little bit. But yeah, man, it was uh it was all that I targeted at first. It you know, it was just like, you know, the flavor of the week. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my mom and dad split up when I was three. So I looked forward so much to those weekends with my father where I knew that that's all we would do Saturday and Sunday is fish or, you know, Friday night and then Sunday we would fish. It all depended on how my dad felt after work on Friday when he picked me up. Wow. That's so awesome. Dang. And so when did, I guess, was it up until like recently, maybe a handful of years ago, or maybe when you were a teenager or a little bit younger, when did you kind of, what was the point where you realized like, and, and maybe I'm obviously it could, it could still not be, uh, be the main part now, but did it ever become like the main goal was bass fishing, whether before it was even on a tournament level, like, oh, these, these green fish are really fun to catch. I don't have to go out into the deep sea to go catch them. Like they're very readily available or had it, is it still just kind of open up, but, but green fish are just kind of the easiest thing for you to go target whenever you want to. Your favorite swimbait podcast is now proudly sponsored by Leviathan Rods. Leviathan Rods is a Texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end, made-in-the-USA rod blades. Every sale from Leviathan helps support foster youth and their families. With Leviathan Rods, you're not only going to feel a difference, but you're going to help make a difference, too. Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. So whether you're fishing a depth 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods. I I guess it was when I was about <clears throat> excuse me uh 11 maybe 12 um we had moved from upper or northern Delaware down towards the beach area in Delaware. Delaware is such a small state. Um but there was this pond right down the street and i used to go down there and fish all day you know that was back before cell phones and you know camera phones and stuff like that um i had friends that had cell phones but i didn't Mm -hmm. so i just kind of be like all right mom i'm going fishing i'd grab a couple rods hop on my bicycle and ride down to the pond and one night i happened to uh go down there and caught my personal best that still stands to this day of nine three and damn dude ever since i caught that fish it's just been trying to best that now anybody that knows delaware or pennsylvania it's super difficult to you know find fish of that caliber i i know a couple guys here in pennsylvania that 
have a couple double digits under their belts and they have the opportunity of living, you know, five minutes from the lake and being able to fish any day they want because they're either retired or they're bait makers. So mm-hmm. that's what they do for a living. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, my, I got my first boat. I'm actually, uh, staring at it right now. My dad gave it to me when I, I think I was 11. It's a 1967 Starcraft, 14 foot V bottom. It had a 1958 Evinrude or 57 Evinrude 18 horse on it with a 45 pound thrust motor guide on the bow. And my dad would take me down to the lake or the the pond, as they call them in Delaware. Um, take me down to the pond and drop me off and tell me, okay, I'll be back at the ramp at this time. And, uh, you know, I would just go and fish my ass off and try for, you know, big fish. I, I just, I was always after big fish. I wanted to have, I, I, ever since I caught that, that nine, three, I just wanted to best that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've been after that for a long time. I've lost a lot of fish that, were either close or better due to dumb mistakes sometimes when you're by yourself on the boat you know you you make those mistakes when you have a co-angler there with a you know a net with an eight foot handle on it it's a little easier to get those fish in the boat yeah but no man i i've i've always been i you know like i said since maybe 11 or 12 i've I've been targeting largemouth, you know, I would just do striper trips and stuff like that for fun. Um, I did work on the offshore boats out of Lewis, Delaware for quite some time to where I started as a mate on one of the head boats where we'd have like anywhere from 20 to 60 people that we would have to, you know, run around and give them, you know, cut them bait tiny rigs you know take their fish off measure it make sure that the fish were legal because if we came in and the coast guard decided to do a check it wouldn't just be on that person that had the undersized fish on the cooler our captain would get a fine you know due to one of our faults Mm -hmm. yeah and uh that wasn't too good for us we get chewed out at the end of the day if that happened Mm-hmm. I've only ever experienced that one time out of, I think I worked on those boats for seven or eight years off and on, but Damn. I started on the head boats and then graduated to the offshore, you know, private charters, you know, going out tuna fishing and stuff like that. But still anytime I could, I'd be out there chasing largemouth. Yeah. And so when did, uh, I guess when did when did you get bit by the tournament bug, or or how did it lead up to there, like through your teen years, or maybe after high school or college, or how did that kind of play out for you? I would say it hit a stale period, but I used to love to fish tournaments with my dad. Ever since we back in the day, um, you know, they would give you big trophies at the end of the tournaments like if you won first you'd get this big tall trophy and i 
I remember my father, you know, like I said, he was tournament fishing long before I was ever thought of. And uh, he had a trophy room that was just filled with all these giant first place, second place trophies, as well as all the citations and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. So when I was younger, I used to love fishing tournaments with him. Then, you know, once I got into, or, you know, once I hit puberty, I guess everything kind of changed up a little bit. I started focusing on different things. You know, I was into racing motocross and skateboarding and I don't know, man, it, 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 it didn't really you know it it wasn't my expectations to you know fish a tournament every weekend yeah yeah or or to find that tournament every weekend mm -hmm. so i would still fish um but yeah it just it wasn't it wasn't a top priority when i was in my early teens yeah and uh, i feel like I've I've had a lot of guests on the show and I mean a lot a lot of them and e even myself included like a lot of them grew up fishing as as well as I did and I mean you fish you know 10 years of your life how whatever x amount of years and not that you get burnt out but you do hit an age you know 13 14 15 you know you you get up into high school and stuff and you make friends and and whatever and <laughs> Dude, for a lot of guys, like fishing kind of takes a back seat there for, you know, a handful of years or whatever, you know, a lot of guys will revisit in their 20s, 25, they're like, "Oh, like I why did I ever get out of this? Like it's so much fun." And that I that happened that I mean, I did the same exact thing. I fell out of love for fishing for, you know, two or three years and then, you know, I I bought a bait and I just I got the bait and I'm just like, "Oh my gosh, like this thing's awesome. I love the way it swims. Why did I ever get out of this?" And I feel like that happens to a lot, a lot of guys. Guys get burnt, not like I said, maybe not necessarily even burnt out, but they kind of grow as a person. And, and fishing takes the back seat, and then it's, but but it's nice because it's it's always there. Like you can always come back to it whenever you want to. It's not like a hobby that's ever going to leave. I feel like. Tell you, it never took a back seat because every weekend that I spent with my father, mm -hmm. we were fishing at least one day out, out of the weekend, we would, we'd be on the water, whether it was, it was, you know, flounder fishing, striper fishing, yeah. bass fishing. We would, uh, you know, there's a certain time of the year where we would go out and chase the white perch during their pre-spawn. And it, you know, that was a, absolute blast going out there and catching you know one to two pound white perch just cast after cast after cast on these little jigs and uh it it was just more or less that when i hit my early teens mm -hmm. i was getting a lot of attention through my skating and okay. yeah bmx so we were doing videos and stuff like that you know me and my buddies you know i had a friend that you know all he did was ran a camera man that's what he was into and uh yeah. then of course you know 
we were kind of like the rowdy kids and we're getting into a, like a little bit of mischief here and there and but i never really fell out of fishing until i hit a dark point in my life um i got hurt and of course you know back then the doctors first thing they do is throw opiates at, at you and yeah. uh unfortunately i uh i fell into that trap and i went down that rabbit hole for quite some time and you know i would i would still fish here and there but uh yeah man that was uh that was a really tough time in my life uh lost a lot of friends that had passed away lost a lot of friends that just didn't want to be around me a lot of family members that didn't want to be around me and then you know one day something clicked and i'm like you know what i gotta get i gotta get everything together i gotta you know i gotta get back on path and here we are i guess seven and some change years later and you know now i've got my own business that i've started you know i've got a family my my girlfriend my stepson um and i'm just loving life man i Hell you know much. i get to get to fish when i want and i don't have to wake up every day and and worry about things you know yeah yeah that's i mean uh, that, that's the best thing to hear honestly like when when somebody's able when somebody's able to kind of turn turn their life around you know whatever it may be and, and get back and and not necessarily even get back but get back and, and be on top of everything i mean that's it's so awesome to hear because because unfortunately there there is people who who don't get to be back like they used to before you know whatever whatever happened to them but it's always good to hear when guys do and and the fact that i mean that that you get to fish and everything all the time i mean that's so badass because there's guys who who work a nine to five and wish they could go out and fish whenever they wanted to look i when i have work i mean i've only lived in the poconos for about four and a half years now maybe yeah um so being a new contractor in this area, of course, you got to build your reputation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was fortunate that the first couple of jobs I did were for some very reputable builders in this area. Yeah, that's now. Nice. I I target painting. That's what I advertise as my my business name is Caliber Painting. I target painting because it's you know it's something that I enjoy it's, you know, and you'll hear a thousand contractors say, Oh, I hate painting. Yeah. Um, but it's something that I enjoy. It's nice, relaxing work. You put some music on you, you know, it's light. You're not breaking your back unless you're doing a, you know, an exterior where you're hucking around a 40 foot ladder all day. Yeah. But, big um, stuff. But yeah, I, I do everything aside from electrical and plumbing. I sub those out. But framing, sheetrock, I I do flooring, uh, 
up here we joke around a lot of there's not a lot of new building going on in this area mm -hmm. so we joke around that everything's antique restoration <laughs> um the last home that i worked on um i just finished the job i guess it was uh friday uh that house was like 204 years old oh my gosh dude <laughs> so yeah, a lot of stuff up here, you know, you 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 got to know what you're doing, uh especially when it comes to the painting aspect and you got to know the the rules and regs because a lot of these homes up here still have lead paint on yeah. the on the base, you know, on the base coat that has just been painted over years before, but when I go in and I do a job, everything that I do, I'll I'll put it this way, everything that I do I try to do my best at it as it were my home or, you know, I, I just, I, I critique myself so much that I make myself get frustrated over super or certain things. Mm -hmm. And I just want to make it the absolute best job that I can make it or, you know, yeah. the, the final product of that job, I should say. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do the same thing with fishing. Like I, I'm constantly critiquing myself with fishing. That's why I record everything so I can go back and, you know, see where I made that mistake, where I switched the rod from the left, folded over to the right. You know, I should have just brought the fish in on the left. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, like uh, like keep... game film, like an athlete's game film. Exactly. Yep. And I I do that a lot. Um, mm. I, I'm I'm constantly going back and reviewing footage. Um, I just had to watch a heartbreaker from yesterday. Where, I mean, it was for Pennsylvania. We'll we'll just say it, it was a monster fish. Um, you know, it, it's one of those ones that guys that have been fishing up here their entire lives have never caught and i you know i had the glide right at the bow of the boat she came up surprised me she tail walked uh, you know i i swung on her i had i i thought i had two hooks in her when she started tail walking and thrashing down the side of the boat there's now on this reservoir, they're still in pre-spawn mode, and they are—I mean, they're vicious. It's—it's it's like I explain to people this way, uh, like ratfish. Yeah. Every single ratfish I've ever caught in my life has been super violent. Yeah, wants to like they just, murder they, yeah, they 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 hit it like a freight train. They thrash all the way to the boat. Once you get them in the net, they're still thrashing. What you're trying to do your weight video or you know take a picture, they're still thrashing around. Yeah. They're just super aggressive fish. Um, that's what this big girl did to me, and she she tail walked down the side of the boat. I reached for the net. Yeah, I swooped and caught my bait but no fish oh my gosh dude oh um, 
man yeah so i i had to i had to watch that this morning <laughs> yeah. and it was i just deleted it right away you know i i watch my mistake and generally uh when i'm yeah, up here we have super clear water mm-hmm. like our our waters are uh, i'd say a, a majority of our waters are very clear yeah so you can see the fish um I try to pay attention what direction the fish hits the bait from, and that determines which way I swing. Now, I had to condition myself to do that. Uh, When I was fishing out of my first kayak, when I first moved up here, I I started running the shop. You know, after I started my business, I immediately found a shop to put all my tools and stuff in. It's an old batting cage, like every everything's still there. The the fence, the nets, the old pitching machines, everything's still out there. Well, you know, me being me, I'm curious. I I was wandering around it, you know, like the second day I started moving stuff into it. And there was three kayaks out there. And one of them was a. uh, Uh, it was a sit-in. I'm trying to think of the name. I ground, I, I sanded the name off the side and I painted it. I still have it. It still floats and everything. But it had like a 14 by 9 hole in the side of it. And what Gee. it was was a manufacturer warranty. And generally with kayaks, if, if you have a warranty on them, you know, where something goes wrong with it, they make you destroy the kayak so that it won't float Mm -hmm. yeah you know um so i believe that's what this was so i called the you know the landlord and i said hey you know this blue kayak back here you mind if i take it and try to fix it and she said go ahead two days later i i had it floating on the water and um then I painted it and I fished out of that thing for a year until I came across a deal on a, a better kayak. And I'm still fishing that kayak to this day. Um, when I, when I want to get out, you know, early in the morning before work, you know, I'll leave at like 2 AM and fish until six and then head to the job or, maybe try to stretch it out a little later like some of the communities up here you can't start work until like 8 30 yeah same here Um, you know it it all depends on what kind of work you're doing if if i'm painting or staining it's quiet no one cares but if i got a generator out there you know running or if i'm running a pressure washer you know anything you know with a gas motor if i'm out there using power tools or you know banging and framing nails or shooting and framing nails, you know, they want you to wait until a certain period. Every yeah. community has its, its different rules, but, um, yeah, I'll throw my kayak on the roof of the truck the night before and get up early and go hit the water for a couple hours and then head to work, come home, unload the kayak. And I catch a lot of big fish that way. I, I love night fishing. Yeah, that's so awesome, dude. And I mean, night fishing out there, out by you in New England, just the East Coast in general is so 
you know, so sought after. And I don't know, man, it seems like nobody else in the country has been able to kind of tap into that cold night bite like you guys have out there. And I'm jealous. Whenever I see guys post pictures in kayaks or crawdads and it's they're wearing beanies, they're wearing neoprene gloves and they're holding up, you know, these five, six, seven pounders. I'm like, man, like that's brutal. But <laughs> sign me up. I'll do it. I'll catch one of those fish. I don't care how cold I am. <laughs> I went out uh, early this season. Our water temperatures during the day were 40. Damn, yeah, I went cold. out I I went out in the evening after work um and I had an issue with my trolling motor. So of course, you know, me being me, I my boat's packed with tools. Mm-hmm. It I I'd, I'd probably, you know, it, if I took everything that I didn't think I needed out of the boat, <laughs> I'd probably have a lot more room for my co-anglers. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, you know, I I'm also one for helping other guys out while I'm on the water. You know, if I see someone that has an issue, I'm always, you know, the first one to run over and, hey, buddy, do you need this? Or, you know, I got this, this, this. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, the the first gathering I went to, I helped somebody that had broken their their trolling motor cord, and we became friends and that was that was how i met him cody kirk and you oh, know we've yeah. been we've been friends ever since um but no anyway that day i went out in the evening i was throwing the glide bait around i was just happy that the water was you know th- had thawed um but the trolling motor i guess shorted out i ended up fixing it uh, the following morning, but I was out there, the sun went down and I heard stuff starting to hit the surface and I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I guess they're trout. So just on a whim, I picked up, you know, my one rod. I, I use us, you know, I always use, uh, egg snaps on like crank downs and wakes. So I had this super, I, I, I had an original eight inch, um, rad rat that I got from a good friend, Brian Serval, uh, traded it to me a a few years back and I beat the ever loving hell out of that thing. But I picked that bait out of my box, clipped it on, made maybe five casts. And I, I think the fish was five, nine, but, uh, yeah, the water temp, the surface temp was only 39 degrees. Oh my gosh, that that's so the, crazy. The coldest wake fish I've ever caught. Now, the coldest glide fish I ever caught, I was with a good friend of mine, um, Keith Thomas from Black Talon Custom Lures. Mm-hmm. Him and I were out one time, and there was ice in the cove where we usually fish in the early season after ice out uh but the what the temperature was fluctuating so you know one day the the boat launch you know the ramp and the cove everything would be open the next day it would have an inch of ice on so it was it was fluctuating and one day it was supposed to be like you know 42 degrees or something like that and i i called him i'm like yo 
you want to go fishing? He was like, hell yeah, let's get out there. So I was there like 20 minutes before him and I caught one right at the ramp. And then right after he got on the boat, I caught another one. Then he caught one and we just kind of went back and forth for a couple fish. But we were fishing literally a hundred yards from locked ice. You know, it was a fully locked cove and it was only like 37 degrees. Wow. Oh my gosh, dude. That's crazy. That's, that's damn cold water. Oh my gosh. And then, I mean, shortly after that, um, a good friend of mine, Jim Max from Mad Max Swim Beats, mm-hmm. um, he sent me a prototype to fish of the Mondo Gill. And, you know, again, it was super early in the season. Um, but I was like, I'll go fish it, man. Anytime anybody sends me a prototype, I, you know, I go out and I put time on the water with it. So I took my kayak out one day before work and it was it was one of those weird nice days up here in the Poconos it, it's you know it, it could be January and you'll get a you know a 40 degree day and after having you know constant 13 to 20 degree days a 40 degree day you you know almost want to go out in shorts and a t-shirt yeah yeah but uh I was like damn it's gonna be nice tomorrow so I'm I'm gonna take the yak out after work. And I went out and I I put you know, I put a decent one on that bait. And then um I think the day before I put another one on it just shore banging. Um but yeah, that's that's one of my favorite glides uh as far as a gill profile is the the Mad Max Mondo gill. That thing just, it, it has such an awesome swim to it, and you can do so many different things with it. Yeah, and when when did you find out about swim baits? How did this happen for you? Uh, guys have all sorts of different stories, so what was your kind of uh, awestruck moment when you saw them for the first time, saw them in a store, saw somebody fishing with them? How did it start for you? So it started striper fishing with sassy shads. You know, we were throwing big, giant, sassy shads on a, you know, big lead jig hook. And uh, then Storm came out with those uh, bunker paddle tails. And I actually used to make and sell to other fishermen in the area that were striper fishermen. I'd make these spec rigs with the, I believe it was the 8-inch version on the bottom with a six or a three inch version up top. So I fished, you know, and a lot of people wouldn't consider them swim baits, but technically they are, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's like the same thing with Kytex, you know, people are like, Oh, you know, Kytex aren't real swim baits, but you know what it, you know, if, if you break it down, and I'm not comparing the two at all, but a Huddleston is nothing but a, you know, it's a weighted jig hook swim bait. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's what the storm baits were. Um, but 
I was never big on like Facebook or anything like that as far as like following pages or or anything. Um but I I had a friend introduce me to Swimbait Universe. I guess it was in 2020. And I had a couple other random baits that I'd found in tackle shops here and there um before then that I'd fish and do well on but my god that was such an eye-opening experience to see all of the different builders and then it being introduced to other pages and then it was just like i went down the rabbit hole yeah right and i mean that's how it happens with so many guys is, is they do get exposed to kind of that that swim bait media and it just it it blows them away. They're like, oh my gosh, like how have I never, I mean, <clears throat> you see jigs everywhere go, you see, you know, drop shot worms every, every tackle shot. But when you stumble onto like a swim, like a, like a glide bait or just a big paddle tail or whatever for, for the first time, you're like, whoa, like this is, this is something that I've never, I didn't even know existed until I laid my eyes on it now. Well, when I, when I first moved up here, um, and started fishing in this area i was told about this tackle shop which now sponsors me um and it's called the wacky worm you know yeah uh they had a couple of the old matt lures uh jig hook crappy baits in there yeah yeah the wet the I, I believe they were wedge tails or maybe they were paddle tails, I forget. But um yeah, I ended up buying a couple of them and then they had some other off brand uh paddle tails in there. I bought a couple of them and I didn't really get into the soft bait fishing too much until I'd say maybe two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, you know, I, I, I talked a lot with, uh, the guys at Leviathan. I ended up becoming part of the team and recently, uh, Eric built me a custom soft bait rod. Oh, it's so and awesome. And as soon as I started fishing soft baits on a rod that was built to fish soft baits, Mm-hmm. It was, a, I mean, a complete game changer for me. Um, we have a lot of weedy, grassy lakes up here. And the grass will grow all the way to the surface to make it almost impossible to throw, you know, a glide or a wake or a crank or anything like that. Yeah. So really your only choice is to go weedless. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, man, ever since getting that rod, which it was recently, it's it's really boosted my confidence in the soft bait game. Um, but yeah, man, I, I just uh you know, once once my eyes were open to all the different builders, it was you know, down the rabbit hole. Yeah, I want to try. I want to try this bait. I want to try that bait. And then once I, once I kind of found my groove, 
of what style I like to fish. Like the first, you know, the first couple baits that I bought um, off of drops were the soft tail, the Buka soft tail. Um, I bought a four by four. And then I believe it was, gosh, I can't even remember what the, what the first glide bait I bought off the drop was. I probably still have it. Um, but I can't remember the name of it. I'll think of it as soon as we get done with this. I'll, I'll remember the name and I'll be like, damn. Yeah. You know, right. But, uh, no, I, I started fishing the soft tail and just started crushing on it. And, you know, I was winning tournaments with it and constantly putting up fives and sixes and winning lunker. Um, we, the, the club that I was fishing with posts, after, in Pennsylvania, uh, right now, our bass season is actually shut down, so there's no tournaments going on right now. Yeah, yep. So, once the tournament season starts back up, the club that I used to fish with, I'm just, this year, I, I chose to just go freelance, still fish all the opens, um, get into the bigger tournaments, you know, the bigger opens that I could. Um, but I, I really wanted to target big fish this year. You know, I didn't want to have that, that pressure of, you know, having to go to this regional event or that regional event, stuff like that. I wanted to fish where I wanted to fish on certain weekends. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. but no, this club hosts a 6 PM to 9 PM tournament every Tuesday night. So it's a quick three-hour tournament on a 1,550 acre lake. Holy crap. And, you know, me having this 17-foot pro team, I got a 1997-foot tracker pro team with a 60 horse on it. Now, it had a 40 when I started. And I couldn't, you know... I couldn't run the lake like the other boats would. Yeah. Um, I just couldn't do it. But that soft tail always came through in the last, you know, hour of the tournament. There was even, you know, I, I on my Instagram, I've got a couple of videos of, you know, like the last 10 minutes of the tournament. You could see all the boats coming into the dock. And I'm the type of person, I'm going to fish until that last minute is up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But there's been numerous tournaments where I've caught the lunker in the last, you know, 20 to 10 minutes of the tournament. And uh, the soft tail was really what started me out with, you know, building confidence in fishing big baits during tournaments. Then I got into, you know, fishing glides during, you know, the eight hour day tournaments and stuff like that. And I built a lot of confidence in it, man. I, I, I still take conventional gear. I have certain follow-up baits. You know, if I have one come up and swipe at a glide or swipe at a, you know, at a wake or 
you know, a crank. I have follow-up baits because I'm fishing for money. You know, mm-hmm. that's yeah. if there's, if there's money on the line, I'm going to do what I can. I'm not going to stand there and blast a glide at it for, you know, 50 cast and expect it to, you know, take another swipe at it. I'm going to mm-hmm. throw something in there that I know it's going to eat. Yeah. Or, or, or hope that it's going to eat. I'll mm-hmm. put it that way. Yeah. And is your mentality like when, so, uh, we'll say it's a eight hour one, it's a Sunday, Sunday, uh, tournament, you know, blast off. Do you have in your mind that you're going to try to catch, you know, five just to fill the box. And then if they seem to be, uh, you know, fueled up that you'll go out and you'll try to, you know, catch one or two kickers with soft bait or just a swim bait in general, or is it just kind of very tournament to tournament in, in what the conditions are like for you? I'm very big on following conditions. Um, I keep a log book and that just goes back to my days of working on the fishing boats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I pay attention to lunar charts. I pay attention to the barometer readings, um, the conditions the day before the conditions, the following day, if there's any storms rolling in stuff like that. But a majority of the time I start, the first two, I'd say two, three hours of the tournament with big baits. And if, if I'm not seeing any results, then I'll switch up to my confident baits of conventional gear. Mm-hmm. Try to get my, my four or five, you know, our tournaments up here, they vary um, throughout the season. Uh, it all depends on. You know, there's a whole bunch of different clubs up here that throw opens um, or that host opens. Some of them are four fish limits. Some of them are five fish limits. But, yeah, I'll I'll switch to a, you know, a conventional bait that I know I can put fish on. And I'll get my fish as soon as I get my five or my four or five. I'm right back to the big baits. Um there's a lot of times where I just say, you know, hell with it. I'm going for hero or zero and yeah. I'll throw big baits all day long. I won't even bring conventional rod with me. And that's paid off a few times. And there's been times where it hasn't. Um, <laughs> I invited Wayne to come down and fish a open with me. Uh, and I told him, I said, look, man, you know, this, this is a big bait lake. You know, there's, and, and he knows the other gentlemen that were competing in the tournament. Um, but I told him it's a big, it's, it's a big bait lake, you know, it's a glider lake and, uh, it's up to you what you want to do. You know, if, if, if you want to bring, you know, a conventional and I'll fish a glide, you fish conventional or vice versa. And he was like, hell with it. We'll just, you know, we'll go for the win. And, yeah. you know, unfortunately, all we caught that day was a giant pickerel. Oh. <laughs> but Damn. that same, that same, and, you know, it, it sucks zeroing when there's popular guys at the tournament, you know, pros mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But the year before I fished that tournament solo 
and came in third against some, you know, some hammers. Yeah. Um, Ike and Ellie was there fishing with a buddy of mine and I was just throwing the, uh, what was it? The shad little all day. And I had it basically tuned as a floater and I was just throwing it over grass all day. And I, I lucked out, came in third and walked away with a little check. Hell yeah, dude. I mean, you can't, you can't complain when you cash a check. I mean, <laughs> it's a good feeling, I guess. That's for sure. It It is, you know, I, I, I love when I can come home, you know, my, my girl, she, uh, she's not the biggest fan of me fishing as much as I do at the yeah. times that I do. Right. Yeah. She, ha she has no problem with me fishing, but when I'm leaving in the middle of the night, as she calls it, I just say it's early in the morning, but you yeah. know, when I roll, when I roll out at two in the morning, um, She's not a fan of that, but she has no complaints with me fishing tournaments. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's even better, you know, when I come home with a check and, you know, of course I'm always happy for the rest of the evening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, just boost my confidence for the next mm -hmm. one. Yeah. And I guess like before you had, before you had found those crappie soft baits and stuff, Prior to that, what was what was your favorite conventional technique? Like, if you could go out there and you and you, you know, oh, they're going to be eating this because this is what I like fishing. What what would that answer be for you? I was a bladesman, a white okay. Hank Parker, white Hank Parker with a twin tail trailer. Okay, so I guess that you weren't you aren't necessarily able to replicate that exactly with a swim bait, but. I mean, when you go out and you fish soft baits, do you fish them with an underspin so you kind of have that same, you know, that same kind of drawing power as you would, or do you just go out there nope. and just drag a drag a softy? Uh, I'll I, I'm not a fan of underspins, um, okay. but going back to the conventional, I I fished everything. Um, you know, my dad was a big spinnerbait guy. That's why. I love spinner baits. You know, I caught a lot of fish on them when I was a kid. But, you know, we also did a lot of jig fishing. Uh, we did a lot of uh, top water, you know, with Zara Spooks or Hula Poppers or Pop Rs. You know, back then you had those old Hula Poppers that would always melt in your tackle box, but then they came out with the Pop R. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of the old build dance walking baits, you know, what was it? The, uh, not the Excalibur. Gosh, that's another one. I can't think of the name of, I got them right here in the boat though, but, uh, <laughs> they were just like a simple walking bait. Mm -hmm. They had a, uh, like a, a different design. Um, believe it or not, I threw a lot of the, 12 inch buzz bait bill dance buzz bait when they came out with that design um it had that that 12 inch you know wire on it mm -hmm. with with the trailer you know and skirt behind or the skirt and the hook 12 inches behind the blade 
and I just love them. That's I, I think that was made by Booyah when they first came out or when they first became popular. Um, but, you know, you could throw that thing a country mile and I would just blast it down the edge of pads and and fish that. But I, I would say the my my most consistent conventional technique was a spinnerbait, you know, slow rolling a spinnerbait. I'd I'd either, you know, try to just get it to roll down the depths by any kind of structure and keep it right off the bottom. I wasn't much for burning it. I I I don't like fishing baits fast. Mm-hmm. Um, a good friend of mine. Uh, I'm probably gonna mess this story up, <laughs> but a good a good friend of mine, and this this is what I always tell my buddy Rafa, um, who we'll we'll touch on that afterwards. But uh, he's been you know he's been building a lot of glide baits and we've been working together and he just came out with the apex shad and the apex colorway but uh i always tell him like dude i fish my glides so slow compared to other guys that i fish with but uh anyway the story goes you know there's a there's a woman sitting a big fat woman sitting in her lawn chair out in her front yard this little kid's walking down the sidewalk with a stack of cheeseburgers in a wagon sign on the side says free cheeseburgers if that kid's running down the street or down the sidewalk and that woman feels like she can't get up and catch him to get her free cheeseburger she's not even going to try yeah but if that kid's, you know, taking his time walking down the sidewalk, stops to tie his shoe or something like, you know, just pauses for a minute to take a look around and that woman feels like she can get up and get her free cheeseburger, she's going to she's going to make an attempt. Yeah, dude, exactly. And I messed that I I did mess the story up, but when I first heard him say that, I laughed so hard <laughs> in the boat. We were out fishing. I laughed so hard. And, you know, it, he he told me that because everybody always asks him, oh, can you burn your glide bait? You know, can you burn your glide? And it's, I I just don't understand some people. You know, everybody's got their own way of fishing. Everybody's got their success in confidence in what they do but i just i've never felt that glides were meant to be burnt okay yeah if you want to burn a bait and get that reaction bite fish a swimmer Mm -hmm. or Hmm. you know or a soft bait you know that 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 can fish higher in the water column um there's actually a bait that I've been fishing for some time, a softy, uh, the Gizzard Wizard. Oh yeah, which is just just get put back into production. Uh, I think today's the first drop, or tomorrow's the first drop I saw. Yeah, um, Jeff actually sent me out a package um, the other day. Him and I were talking a bunch and going back and forth because I put up a couple decent fish on the gizzard wizard 
a few weeks back and mm-hmm. you know i sent him to ryan and you know we're on the same team so ryan and i stay in in contact with each other and um i was always bugging him like dude i'm repairing my baits you know they're old they're getting to the point where you know that i just can't repair them anymore yeah and yeah. And he slipped me the news that they were, you know, getting ready to start being poured again by top shelf. Which is so and, awesome. Because uh, that oh, so man, I, I I can't wait. It's it's such an a, such a versatile bait for a softy that's you know rigged with a beast hook. You know, you can you can bottom bounce it, you can uh boil the tail. And when I boil my tails, I generally boil them about a quarter inch behind where the hook penetrates and mm-hmm. comes out. That way I'm not jeopardizing any of the the integrity of the bait where the hook penetrates and sits in the hook slot. Yeah, yeah. But it'll make the bait swim as it's falling. Mm-hmm. So I have a habit of doing that with my baits because I just I I put that in the same category as like jig fishing almost, and it's almost like you know fishing a swim jig. So when I found out that they were coming out and Ryan put me in contact with Jeff, that was that was awesome. Um, Jeff asked me what color I wanted. And I was like, can you do a red one? And he was like, yeah, but they're going to bleed if you put them in with anything else. And I was like, I don't care, dude. I just, I want a red one. We got big smallies up here. We've got, you know, largies up here. Anytime you put them in a live well, they're spitting up crawfish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'd like to try a red one. So he he i mean literally 15 minutes later he's blasting me pictures of like six (laughs) different variations of this color that he's poured and he we both finally decided that the just the solid cherry color which he calls it looks the best and a, a lot of other people you know voiced that they like that color and um I'm excited to get it. It should should be here tomorrow. So I'm I'm planning on, you know, I, I got a pressure washing job tomorrow. Uh then I'm staining. So generally I'll give it a day to dry. So yeah. Tuesday I plan on fishing and I gotta I don't know whether it's gonna be Tuesday or Thursday. I, I I'm open for both days, but um I, I got a drone pilot coming out with me who also builds baits and but he's he wants to come out and film with his drone, you know, overhead footage of, you know, these cast to catch and stuff like that. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited to to see what I can do with those uh those gizzard wizards yeah. as well as the Apex Shad. I've been hanging a lot of good fish on that bait recently. Um the first day that I got the Apex Shad, I stopped by the mailbox and 
I popped in the house for a second, took the dog for a walk, and I was like, babe, I'm 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 heading down to the lake for a minute. And I just went and beat the bank, but I, I nailed, you know, a four, a four six and then like a high three. And I was like, damn, this bait's definitely gonna, you know, definitely gonna produce some fish. You know, I built confidence in it right then and there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then the following trip that I took with that bait, I caught a five one and a five eight. And the water, the water temperatures were still in the low forties. So I've, I haven't been doing much fishing recently just because, you know, the tournaments are, are shut down right now and I'm focusing on work, but I went out yesterday and I, I had that fish on the apex. That was just an absolute heartbreaker. I mean, I mean, you I sent me that picture. I'm like, damn, that's that. That makes me sad. <laughs> yeah, and you know, everybody always uh, asks me, or I wouldn't say they ask me. They they always assume that my drag's locked. Mm-hmm. Now I'm fishing Levi with with the Apex Shad, which is an eight inch Shad Glide. I'm fishing the Leviathan Custom Heavy with a Tatula 300 20 pound suffix advanced copoly low vis green that's the okay. only that's the only line that I fish with big baits is the 20 pound low vis green and um yeah everybody uh, you know is always assuming when I you know show pictures of bent hooks that I have my drag locked you can literally pinch two fingers on my line if you've got, you know, good grip in your fingertips mm-hmm. and, and you know, pull line off my spool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's it's just up here, we, we've got a lot of uh, stump fields. This particular reservoir that I've been fishing, um, I'll send you a video that I, I took yesterday. I sent it to my buddy Jim Max. Uh, while I was on the water, they're standing timber. Like it, it's just a, a filled in reservoir. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's an, ele- it's an electric company that owns it. It's probably, I'd say 2000 acres. Uh, it's like 240 feet deep. Holy shit. It's, dude. it's got, <laughs> it's got Lake trout. It's got they stock it with some sort of salmon. I, I'm not sure what what species they are, but it's also got smallies, largies, giant pickerel. I caught a seven eight out of there on the Mondo Gill in January. Um, wow! And they and they stock it with trout. So you know the the smallies and largemouth in there generally aren't the targeted species a lot of the guys go out there for lakers mm-hmm. and yeah. they just troll around but uh yeah i never lock my drag um if i got a horse i'm out of a stump you know I'll, I'll i'll spin my my dial down a little bit and and try to give them the juice to get them up out of a stump but that's usually when i end up bending out a hook 
Yeah. I wish I could figure out a different way. <laughs> but, you know, you just, you go into that panic mode mm-hmm. when, when you see, cause you know, like I, like I said earlier, the water up here is so clear. So you can, if, if you got a good set of polarized glasses, you know, I wear my coasters all the time. Um, you can see all the stumps if you're fishing in like, you know, 15 to five foot of water, you can see all the stumps. And as soon as the fish hits a bait, obviously, boom, you're focused on that. Mm-hmm. And that happens even in murky water. Then you're following your line, you're, fo- you know, but in this clear water, you can focus on the fish. Yeah. And when they wrap you up, man, there's really not much you can do. So I try to horse them out of there and it doesn't always work out for me. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask is what, uh, what's, what's your setup? What's your rod reel and and usual pound line that you usually go with depending, or what are your setups multiple if you have them? If, Oh, I I've, I've got multiple setups. Um, Eric from Leviathan, as well as Levi, uh, they both looked out for me when I joined the team. And uh, I've got, let me, I believe I've got four customs in the Swimbait series. So I've got two heavies. An extra heavy, and then the soft bait rod. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Most of my wake baits that I throw in Mm -hmm. the, you know, up to four ounce range, going up to six ounce, I'll throw on a heavy. But, like, Rafa just sent me this uh, Godfather gill, which is a massive gill wake. I throw that on the extra heavy. It handles it with ease. All of my rods have the Tatula 300s on them. All of them have 20-pound Suffix Advanced Copoly, low-vis green. I love that low-vis green. And um, anytime I'm fishing a wake, I I generally fish a, a snap. The only wake that I don't like fishing snaps on is the Bullshad Softail. Mm-hmm. I just feel that that bait gets more tail action, and mm-hmm. that's something I want to touch on in a second. But I feel like it's more tail action that puts off a more natural sound without a snap. You know, it's tighter. It's tighter in the face. Yeah, and it just gives it that wiggle in the tail. Um. My buddy Matt Mahoney, uh, River King Custom Lures, he's from Delaware originally. He comes up and fishes with me a lot. There's been multiple nights where I've told him in clear water, you know, you you want a a more subtle bait. You don't want that loud clack. Mm -hmm. And we've gone out and put it to the test. And he's thrown, you know, super loud baits. And I threw the soft tail and I caught fish and then he'd switch over to a more subtle bait and then he'd catch fish. 
Damn, yeah. So, it, I, I do contradict myself, though, with the rad rat. Because mm-hmm. I put up a lot of good fish on that. And I, I like I mentioned, I had the OG version, uh, the Aiden. And it was a pretty loud bait. I tended to only fish that when it was raining. So, you know, you needed that loud clack to, to pull fish. But there's been days where I've been out there, you know, midday in the summertime and, you know, nothing, nothing was really going on. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to have some fun and I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll clip the rat on and throw that and started catching fish. But I would say a majority of the time in the clear water, I like to fish a more subtle bait than a loud mm-hmm. clacking bait. But I was actually uh, just blessed with a new rad, a new 10-inch rad in the uh, Space Cadet for Lendl. And I'm extremely grateful to you know get a new one because this... This eight inch that I had is I repaired it so many times with quick wood, um, just from like like we discussed earlier. You know, ratfish are just so violent. Yeah, yeah. The edges of the joints were busting, and I was trying to seal them. Like I keep uh, clear lacquer nail polish in my bag. In mm-hmm. case I got to, you know, replace a tip or something like that. Um, seal a bait real quick, you know, within a couple minutes if I'm in a tournament. I I always have that in my bag. And um, it was just, I, I wore it in so much. And then, you know, there was edges that were broken off of it from, you know, fish banging off the side of the boat as I was trying to net them or flip them in the boat. And, uh, it just got to every time that I went out fishing, I would have to hit it with that clear lacquer just to try to keep the wood from getting saturated. But over the period of fishing, that clear lacquer nail polish, it, you know, it's nothing like the clear coat that these guys are spraying. So it would wear off and then, and then the wood would start to get saturated and then it would become fragile and then it would start breaking even more. Yeah, it's not that like automotive clear that they're putting on there, that that real thick goop on there. Right. And then like I said, a lot of times I fish at night. <clears throat> so every once in a while everybody uh screws up and beats a bait off a dock or a stump oh, or yeah. up here we got a lot of big boulders. Like the main lake that I fish, uh you gotta be really careful at night especially if you've never been on the lake before because there's house-sized boulders in the lake that you can run right up on. Yeah, I believe that. And that dude, boats at night, especially like in waters like that, like waters that have deadheads and stuff, man, that's that's scary. That's scary for sure. It It is. Um, and this, the, the lake that I... I call my home lake um it's got two major creeks that feed into it so anytime after a major storm Mm -hmm. there's always giant 
you know, giant logs floating down the creek channels where I like to fish at night. Um, that will just they'll they'll end your your day. Uh, one night, Matt Mahoney and I were out there, and it was after a storm. And I told him, I said, "We got to watch out for stumps." So I'm shining my light. I I usually keep this. Uh, it's like a two thousand lumens light with a zoom on it. Mm-hmm. And when you zoom it in, you I mean you it it lights up everything. Um, I'm like, see right there. Look at that giant stump. And we got a little bit closer to it, and it ended up being an 11-point buck oh, that was God. dead in the water. Yeah, drowned itself. <laughs> oh, my gosh, dude. And then that just set that kind of, like, eerie Lake Placid-type yeah. deal, you know, when they go over and they, you know, they pull that moose head out of the water. Like, it was, it was that just made the whole night eerie. Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude. I was not, I was expecting you to say like a big turtle or something. I was not expecting you to say a buck. Oh my gosh. No, I, I still got pictures of it. I'll send it to you after this, but yeah, it was, it was a massive, uh, it, and it was fresh too, but you know, deer run toward, or they, they tend to go towards water after they're hit by cars or, yep, yeah. um, but there was a search done for that buck after I reported it to my, uh, my old club president, um, Mm -hmm. he's a, he's a state trooper and he does a lot of work with the, uh, fish and wildlife. And they just wanted to see if it was shot, you know, if it was a a poached Poached. deer. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess it had sunk or the big turtles got to it, dude. They're snapping turtles in there that are, you know, they'll they'll scare you they'll come up and poke their head up right on the side of your kayak like i i do still fish out of my kayak like i said in the mornings when i don't feel like coming home and unhooking my boat i'll just leave the kayak on the roof of my truck all day but you know i'll I'll turn my headlamp on because i kind of noticed you know something off to my right or to my left i'll turn my headlamp on and there's a boulders canned sized head of a snapping turtle next to me (laughs) and they've all got you know algae growing on their back and stuff like that because they're so old but yeah it's definitely uh it's definitely a crazy crazy place um super super tough fishing they call it the unbearing seas uh, just because a lot of people have a really hard time on that lake, but mm-hmm. I kind of got it dialed in. I believe I do. Um, I've won a lot of tournaments on it. Eight hour tournaments, the three hour tournaments, uh, and then just fun days out there like testing baits. Um, I remember Brian Serval sent me the, uh, one of the first. I believe it was the first version of the Boulder Creek crawl. And I went out there and I had, uh, I think I had three over five and then two high fours that day on the bait. Damn. And I, I boat flipped one of the fish. I think it was like my third fish I caught on the bait. I boat flipped it and it smacked right off my console, busted the bait right in the joint section. And, I was like, oh man, 
So I unhooked the fish, took a picture with it, throw it back in the water, grabbed the old super glue out, glued it back together, let it sit in the sun for 10 minutes, and then I was back to fishing it and caught fish mm-hmm. on it. And I, I still, I, I've got it hooked up on one of my rods. I caught two fish on it yesterday. Like, I'm still fishing the same OG bait. That's so awesome. That's that's so cool to hear. I love when, if, if if you ever get the opportunity to, like, prototype a bait for somebody or have, like, one of their first, like, first drops. And I like when guys still have those baits and they still fish them because, like, dude, if that thing could tell stories about the fish that guys had caught with them, man, that's, it's just so awesome. I, I love, or, like, when, when guys post a picture of a super old bait and it's it's gotten refined since then, and people are like, "What is that?" And then somebody's like, "Oh, you know, it's X Y Z bait." And they're like, "Well, it doesn't look like it." And I was like, "Oh, yeah, it's because it's five years old, and they've changed it up so much since then." That's it's so awesome to see you guys still fishing those baits. Well, I've got the you know I got to fish a lot of prototypes, but um you know I got this old eight inch rad. I've been making multiple posts on multiple sites or multiple pages, looking for an old OG eight inch rad rat Mm -hmm. can't find one anywhere you know the guys that have them have them in their collection you know that they'll they'll probably never get rid of them um but i got to fish a lot of prototypes and i'm very grateful and um humbled that you know guys ask me you know hey will you test my bait go out and you know tell me what you think about it and um i actually i got to do some late testing on the eight inch bullshad glide okay Uh, i guess it was about two months before the gathering two the second gathering Mm -hmm. and um I put I put some good fish on it, and uh, then I was out one night, and the striper were busting, and I wung it out there, and I must have hit a shallow stump or something like that and fractured the bait. So the following morning, I was heading to work, and I was like, all right, I'm going I'm to swing by the lake, make a couple casts, and I still had the bait tied on from the night before. And uh, first cast came back with no tail section on the bait. And I'm like, oh my God. And it, it it literally broke behind the joint. So I got on Messenger and started, you know, hitting up Buka. And I'm like, this is what happened. I don't feel like swimming for the tail section right now. And he's like, well, it should float. You know, and I'm like, it's still dark. I can't, can't see anything. It was like, you know, five thirty six in the morning, something mm-hmm. like that. And, um, I have a Tahoe with a rod rack that holds seven rods and I keep 10 rods in the truck at all times. You know, I have all my conventional gear and everything. So I had a hula pop, I mean, a, a pop R tied on. So I just grabbed that rod and I went out there and I started blasting cast. I must have made two, three hundred cast. I mm-hmm. don't know. But eventually, 
out of some dumb luck, I caught the tail. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and brought it in. I glued the bait together, you know, with the blue Loctite. I, that's the only glue that I use after Mike originally, uh, suggested it for me. And, um, you know, cause I broke a couple soft tails and fixed them, but, uh, yeah, I glued the bait back together and then continued to fish it for months and months and months, uh, put multiple big fish on it. And then I finally, I won another one in a waffle. I played like an $8 spot and I won a Bill Barton painted shad glide couple Dang. days later i caught my pb smallie on that bait which on the berkeley scale i was i was actually in an online tournament at the time and it weighed six even on the berkeley but on my brecknell it was teetering between like six three six four you know those mm -hmm. berkeley those berkeley scales are always off but um yeah but I just, I call it six pounds. You know, that's what it is. That's what people know it as, you know, a lot of people seen it on the, you know, the tournament page. So that's what I call it as for my PB. But, you know, for a, a small mouth to eat a eight inch shad glide is a, a pretty cool experience. Yeah, dude. When, when small mouth are eating swim baits, man, it's, I don't know, that's bar none, dude. Like that is such a fun thing to experience and, and be able to replicate if you're able to. And it's a blast when they're doing that. Well, two casts later, um, I lost the bait. My gosh. <laughs> just, just dumb luck. I cast it over a little limb. I went to flip it over the limb and we were fishing like a 40 foot bluff. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of, a lot of our lakes up here have like sheer rock bluffs where it's yeah. just a, a straight drop and a lot of big fish come high in the water column you know pushing bait up on the bluffs but yeah i casted and just went over a little limb and i was you know did what i do every other time i reeled up to the you know limb and went to flip it over and came back with nothing but line jumped on the trolling motor went over by the time I had got there, I had the bait tuned at the time. And that's another thing I want to touch on is how I tune my baits. But at the time I had my bait tuned to fall a little bit faster because the, the fish were hanging in about 10 to 15 foot range of the, of the bluffs. But, uh, I guess it was the beginning of last year no the end of last year someone found that bait on that lake and posted it on a page and it was cool to see the support from from friends of mine and even guys that like i don't really talk to that much they were like that's sean's bait yeah and i offered the guy you know, the retail of the bait to get it back. And then I think like four or five guys added $50 each onto that, you know, to try to get this bait back. And, you know, he was just kind of like, you know, finders keepers type <laughs> deal. And, uh, I never got the bait back, but fuck dude, I've got others. I, you know, yeah. I got other shag glides. 
but Man. that's that's an awesome bait but yeah um i've been doing a lot of uh testing for rafa recently and you know that's that's his main gig is glide baits and he's been so good to me um but we're trying to we're trying to get on the same page as far as water temperatures because mm-hmm. you know he's on the west coast which obviously has more stable temperatures than out here on the east coast yeah so what i explained to him is you know there will be some times of the year where i will fish with you know size six split rings and one-op trebles and i i prefer to use the kvd triple grips um Mm -hmm. byron child or childers just turn me on to the uh the swim bait underground hooks okay and and that was the one i sent you yesterday that bent out and i i messaged him just to break his balls a little bit but that fish was hooked in the top of the mouth and the way she tail walked down the side of the boat i mean there was just you know how tough the roof of a large yeah. mouth is yep mouth is but um they're super sharp folks and I, I i'm liking them uh but definitely uh the kvd triple grip short shanks are are one of my favorite hooks you know i went through the quad phase um i was never never one for any of the um gamakatsus or anything like that um i i fished the owner st41s for a while because we do have a lot of big landlocked stripers up here and you never know when one one of them is going to grab your bait but uh yeah. i i settled on the kvd triple grips but now okay. i'm digging these new underground hooks and uh <clears throat> but yeah I, i'll fish you know one part of the season a size five size six split ring and one not <clears throat> then come summertime i'm fishing you know a size three split with a size two hook on mm-hmm. it you know i i i like that super slow sink because i fish my bait so slow and i love when a maker leaves the pin exposed on a glide bait because i'm always modifying baits like like i i mentioned you know before we even started this i i'm actually modifying a bait right now it's drying um i'm always messing with my baits so when they leave the the pin exposed that gives me the opportunity to tune it how i want to fish it now a lot of guys are always asking for super stable baits they don't want them to blow out you know i like unstable baits i like when you can make that bait blow out on command i like when you know you you hit a a little quick twitch and the bait will turn on its side yeah it just to me that that resembles more of you know of fish in distress and triggers that bite yeah i 
I mean, I, I like when you're watching a fish follow and, and you, you give it one hard real hit and the bait kind of blows out a little bit too far to one side and that fish just loses its marbles and clobbers that bait, man. There's nothing better. Yup. Well, that, you know, a lot of the, the recent baits that, that Raph has been making, he's been leaving the pin exposed. And, uh, it's, you know, it, a lot of guys I feel are getting into big baits, you know, because their friends are throwing them mm-hmm. and they're like, you know, well, why is this pin exposed? This bait isn't as good as, as this bait, you know, or, yeah. you know, this hype bait, but you know, uh, for guys like me, I love that because I get to dabble with it. You know, I'll pull the pin and I tune my bait on the fly. You know, there's sometimes where you, you, you want it stable. Um, if you're fishing shallow water, you're fishing around stumps, you know, if, if you blow that bait out on its side, you have the possibility of, you know, hanging your bait up because that those trebles will, you know, that bait will turn horizontal and the trebles will grab the side of the stump. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're fishing. I, I literally, I, I try to hit. It's almost like uh, running the four by four. You know, like yeah. anytime I feel like anytime I can get a bait to make contact with lumber, whether it's a dock, a stump, a laydown, it also triggers that reaction. But yeah, like like I said, I'll tune baits on the fly, and I've done it in tournaments with, you know, co-anglers in the boat, and they're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, you'll see. And I'll, you know, I'll turn that top screw eye in, you know, a full turn, and the bait swims a totally different way. Mm-hmm. Or I'll back them both out, you know, a full turn or two full turns. And then you got a choppy glide. Yeah. Yep. Or I'll turn them both in a full turn or two, and then you've got a super wide glide. So I'm a big fan of, of just playing around with baits and seeing what they're capable of. I love the, the paints that guys do and the fact that they take so much pride in making a clean bait. Mm-hmm. You know, where the pin is sealed up, but me personally, I'd rather have a pin exposed where I can tune it and bend and twist and, you know, do what I want with the bait. Yeah. Yeah. When you get, when it's fun, when you tune baits, I mean, a lot of guys, um, I mean, there, there's people who are scared to, to pull the pin out of a glide bait and start tinkering with the joints or tinkering with the uh with the eyes you know whether it be because they're scared it's they're just gonna mess it up or they're gonna pull them out or whatever it is but if you get a bait and you're not necessarily satisfied with the swim and you pull it out and you you unscrew those eyelets maybe one or two screw or one or two uh you know turns you know that's that that glide bait is going to be completely different and you can you can get a glide bait to swim how you want it to you just you just got to pull the pin and you just got to commit to what you want and figure out how to get, how to achieve that. And when you get there, man, you can, you can get some glide baits, do some crazy things. 
Yep. And another thing is color. Like when I first started, you know, like I said, I I've been on like Swimbait Universe for. I think I looked it up earlier. It was like May of 2020 okay. is when when my buddy showed it to you know showed me the site, sent me an invite. Um, I was all about like the super realistic patterns and all of that. I loved it. I would I would send you know reference photos and have baits painted and this and that, and then I just started given up on that because when the baits would get so rashed up that they were basically raw resin i would start catching on them more yeah and uh there was this one memorable trip where i invited jim max from mad max swim baits up to go fishing he had just built that chameleon glide of his which is an amazing bait it, mm-hmm. it truly is it's uh I believe it's a 10 inch glide in the four to four and a half ounce range. It may even be a little lighter than that, but, um, you know, he was, we were talking the night before and he's like, well, what should I bring? And I'm like, anything in raw, you know, just a raw resin. So he poured two chameleons the night before. And he ended up giving me one in the morning uh-huh. and I, you know, I was, I was grateful and I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to fish this all day. And that's what I did. I fished it all day and we were on the water for maybe like six hours. Uh, he had a, a three and a half hour drive. So, you know, he, he drove up pretty early in the morning to meet me there at like seven. And, uh, <clears throat> I wanted to get him home in a decent time. So I was like, you know, all right, well, we'll fish from this time to this time. That way you can get home and you're not, you know, all burn out. But in the first, I'd say in the first half hour, I hooked into like a six two. about 40 minutes later, I caught like a six, seven. And then we had a, a dull couple hours. But I ended the trip with, I think, like a 7-1 or 7-2, all on a bait that he built the night before. And that was, like, it was such a cool trip, you know, getting to talk with them. And, I, you know, I fish with a lot of bait builders and got a lot of cool stories. But, um, you know, that was a super memorable trip, man. That it, I've never had a day where I've gone out and caught three fish you know or two over six and one over seven yeah um in pennsylvania or anywhere else for that matter so that was cool to me like you know i i really do wish that i could take trips down and learn lakes like out in texas or down south where these guys go out and are constantly putting up eights, nines, and double digits, and yeah. multiple ones at that. But it it takes a fish in Pennsylvania so long to grow to be five pounds um, that a lot of these five pounders that we're catching, um, I'm not a hundred percent 
sure if I'm accurate on this, but I believe that five pound fish in Pennsylvania are seven years old Damn. Or, yeah. or, or older. Um, but I've read studies where down south, you know, fish can be three to four years old and be, you know, almost 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, when they have 12 months to grow, like 12 months of nice, you know, 50 degree water at the coldest to grow, it's wild. Those things grow like weeds compared to like up here in the north, you know, they get what seven months of around 50 degree water and warmer and then those other if that. Three, four months yeah yeah those other you know four or five months are you know freezing literally freezing water <laughs> well there was a cool study that someone posted on uh on Swimbait universe and uh it was about one of those pfa lakes in georgia you know one mm -hmm. of those managed lakes where they had released a fish at three pounds and I believe <clears throat> they got it uh, two or three years later at 10 pounds. Damn. I'm not 100% sure if I'm accurate on that. But I, I know that it was less than five years. That fish grew from three, three and a half pounds to over 10 pounds. Jeez, dude. I mean, you know, ridiculous. that's, yeah, that's insane. I, I, I believe that they've attempted to stock southern strain fish up here, but they just don't, they can't make it in this cold water. You know, yeah. our fish, our, our fish, when it starts to get cold, will go all the way down to, you know, 50, 60 feet of water. Um, it's it's wild mm -hmm. you know i i keep a needle on my boat for those early season tournaments when really you're out there targeting smallies but you're in 30 40 foot of water and you know you've you've got to hit them with a needle because when they come up from that depth if you go to release them what is it they're their gallbladder or yeah, whatever yeah. that uh, what is it their air bladder i think or yeah something like Some, that yeah whenever i'm on the spot on on certain information like that i i kind of ditz out but <laughs> you're good man but i know how to needle them and and get them back in the water safely but it's I've I've seen some guys that don't carry needles and bring fish in to weigh in and literally it looks like there's just a giant tomato in their mouth and they're yeah. dead and yep. they're you know they're getting deductions on weight and then they have to take the fish home with them or you know donate the fish or whatever but mm -hmm. uh yeah that's the big problem like uh up north uh, a little bit far further north in michigan when the college tournaments happen up there in like july and you know they're catching these small mouth and large mouth you know 40 foot of water because it's so hot out there and some of these some of those college kids uh they don't know how to fizz these fish and i mean they're dumping there's you know 40 fish floating around at the weigh-in that are not necessarily dead but there has to be kids that want to go out there and swim around or boat around and net these fish fizz them 
put them in the live well, make sure they're good, and then put them back in the water. Like there's there's some absolute horror stories of of some of these deep lakes up here that guys don't know how to fizz fish, and you know a tournament kills twenty thirty fish because nobody knows how to fizz a fish. It's it's so wild that it's not not more of a common practice thing. Unfortunately, we have uh, similar stuff like that happen in summertime tournaments on um like the upper bay the upper chesapeake bay where the water gets really hot um you know you you basically have to bring another cooler along with you you know aside from just your lunch with like four or five bags of ice yeah what i do is i freeze i'll take like 20 water bottles and freeze all the water bottles because solid ice in a water bottle will last longer than a bag of ice. Mm-hmm. But your live well gets so hot that, you know, the fish are just starting to turn over and belly up. And you get back to the ramp. Um, generally, those tournaments happen in different flights. So they'll send like 70 boats out in one flight and then 70 in another and 70 in another, like, especially like the Ike foundation tournaments. Yeah. Um, the Ike foundation, I will say is very good. If, if, if the fish is dead or close to dying, Mm -hmm. when, when you go to release it, they'll tell you just, you know, net it and give it to us. And they, they donate everything They're They're extremely good about that. Um, but there's been other tournaments I've fished down there where literally, you know, there's just 40, 50 fish floating yeah, it's and so some, some like, you know, five, six pounders floating. And you're like, oh, this is just so, so terrible to see, but it happens. And, you know, that's, I, I just, I, tr- I always try to, you know, practice safe care of the fish like Mm -hmm. uh you know i'm not really one for you know boat flipping fish i'll try to net them and then during the right season like and i'll explain it this way uh during the season where we can keep bass up here i i never keep any bass i'm i'm catching release on absolutely everything um but i'll take my fish after netting it and doing my weigh-in video you know if i'm in an online tournament or something like that or if i'm just fun fishing i'll take it put it back in the live well and hit it with some g juice and rejuvenate yep yeah and then run the aerator for a little while and make sure that fish, you know, is strong. And they generally, they swim off great, but I'll, you know, I'll put them in that water for maybe 10, 15 minutes. Make sure they get that, that G juice on them to help the slime coat. And then the rejuvenate usually kind of brings them back to life after that fight. And, you know, of course, you know, you always want to take a picture if it's a good one. And, you know, I try to take care of these fish, man. It, I, <laughs> I've seen some, uh, some guys on the bank take, you know, five, six pounders that they catch on shiners and 
throw them right in the bucket that they're sitting on. And you know, I'm just, I'm cringing. Like, oh, you just don't understand that fish is so old and it's going to produce more fish if you just let it live. But that's the way this area is, man. We got a lot of, you know, city people from New York to come down and, you know, they sit on the bank with night crawlers or live shiners and Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what they catch, whether it's a 12 inch bass or, you know, a 25 inch bass they put it in their in their bucket and they take it home they grind it up and they make fish patties or tacos out of it and yeah it it, but what can you do you know that's they sell license for that reason so you're allowed to keep a certain amount of the creel and nothing you can do to stop it yeah dude it's uh you know, I mean, if if it's if it's among the rules and among the laws and legislation or laws in uh in you know legislation that's out there, then you know what whatever it may be. But when you see somebody catch a fish that's you know been around for ten years, you know big big seven seven pounds largemouth or you know big five six pounds smallmouth, it's like dang like. Oh, I wish I wish everybody was kind of all like-minded as far as like us us bass guys and you know whatever whatever it may be. There, it's it's not against the law or whatever, but it it hurts, man. When you see a big fish get caught and thrown in a bucket or you know thumped in the head and put in a cooler, man, it it stings. That's for sure. Especially like, I mean, I, I'm kind of biased towards smallmouth because I love them so much, but dude, it takes a smallmouth so long to get you know just a good size and just to be caught on a, a live leech or a crawler or whatever it may be and just thumped in the head and put into a bucket. It's like, damn, dude, like that thing's been on the earth almost as long as I have. Like it's, it's crazy to think about. I, I'm right there with you, man. I, you know, it, like I said, it just, it, it, it makes me cringe when I watch these guys just throw a, a, a trophy fish right in a bucket and sit right back down on the bucket. And Recently, there was, uh, you know, because I, I still follow, like, Delaware pages. Um, there's this guy that uh, in Delaware is fishing the upper Brandywine and catching these muskie. And I watched, like, pretty much watched it live after he posted a picture. Comment after comment after comment after comment of you know we always see you throwing fish up on the bank we always see you ripping the gills out of the fish and throwing them back and you know i i I witness a lot of guys up here do that with big chain pickerel you know they they kill them they just throw them up on the bank because they think they're hurting the fishery and uh, you know any fish i catch goes back in the water I, I try to take the best care of it. You know, sometimes you might get a bloody pickerel, you know, bleeding all over your boat. But if it's not swimming off correctly, which there's only been one time that I can remember I, I had a pickerel that didn't swim off, but I have a friend that eats them. So I called him and I'm like, hey, I got a good one for you. Um, 
but yeah, I, you know, it, it doesn't matter what species it is. I try to, I try to do my best to preserve, you know, them so that they're, you know, continuing to spawn and produce more fish and it, I don't know, man, that's just the way I was raised. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's unfortunate to see those big fish go. And I mean, that's just like big fish in general. Like, I don't know about you guys, but like here, I mean, a 30 inch walleye is pretty damn big. And to see somebody keep a 30 inch spawning walleye, it's like, oh my gosh. Like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, you know, if, if I wanted to, I'd keep, you know, so many two, two pound largemouth, smallmouth. But when a fish gets big, man, it's, it's kind of like, uh, like when it, like a super big buck, like, wow, that thing's been around for a long time. It's, it's eluded everybody who's, who's tried to hunt for it. Like there's something, there's something like really, uh, like a special, special behind it, I guess is the only way I can think of it. Like, it's just an elusive animal that's, that's stood the test of time and has never never given itself the opportunity to be caught or be shot like it's 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 weird to think about and a a lot of people don't realize that it's it's the younger fish that are actually better eating yeah exactly but um you you brought up walleye uh Mm -hmm. i never caught a walleye until i moved to pennsylvania i don't fish for them i I was so surprised this day. I was out there. I was throwing the shad little. I was in a tournament. And I had this 12-pound walleye, I believe it was, come up and smash the shad little, like, right at the boat. And my co-angler took the pic. Or, no, I, I he was fishing. I told him, I said, just keep fishing. I'll take the picture. I just wanted to get a picture of it and I threw it back in the water and he was like, why didn't you keep that? Mm -hmm. And then I I started thinking, I'm like, man, I've eaten walleye before and they're really good, but that was just, that was a good fish. And I don't regret my decision of throwing it back. And that's, that's how I am. Like, you know, it, even like uh you know during trout season per se like my girlfriend she she enjoys you know filleted trout she won't do the, you know the whole mm-hmm. trout where you just kind of pick it off the bones but yeah like where you where you cut it open put it stuff full of yep. butter or whatever yep um she just likes some filleted so once in a while and this is very rare, but once in a while during trout season, I'll go down and I'll catch one or two, bring them home and do them up for her. But most of the time when I catch the, you know, the, the bigger ones that they stock in the lake, because most of the trout fishermen up here are shore bangers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're out there with their fly rods or their spinning rods and they're trying to, you know, blast as far as they can from the shore and I'm out there in the bass boat and uh you know I'm throwing trout glides at the time because I'm trying to catch the fish that are feeding on the trout. Yeah. And uh I can't tell you how many times I've caught, you know, six six and a half pounders that have had, you know, trout tails sticking out of their gullets. But uh 
once in a while I'll bring a spinning rod along with me, you know, with a little rooster tail on it. And, you know, I'll catch a, a pretty good sized trout. And I know it's too big for, you know, one of the bass to eat, you know, yeah. 20, 23 to 25 inch trout. Mm-hmm. And I'll cut it loose. And, um, guys on the bank are just, you know, shaking their head. Oh, I would have kept that. Why didn't you just give it to me? And I'm like, why don't you catch your own? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at this thumbnail moon right now, and I'm I'm getting ready to hook the damn boat up. Hey, man, I was about to say we we've been going on for a little while now. Uh, we can get ready to close it up. Is there anything at least off the top of your head that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about? And you know, you're gonna say no, and then tomorrow morning you're gonna wake up, and get ready for work, and be like, "Oh, son of a bitch, we didn't talk about this. I don't know how I didn't remember that." And that's just how it goes. That just means we'll have to have you on for another episode. Well, I mean, I I'd be more than happy to come on for another episode, but I just want to say to all the all the newer guys out there, just stick, you know, stick with the baits. I've got friends that I bring on the boat that will throw a big bait for 20 minutes and then pick up a conventional rod because, you know, they don't have any confidence in it, but, um, you know, just stick with it, throw them, try to, try to learn from other guys, whoever turned you on to big baits or, you know, podcasts like this, try to pick up any, I, I hope that, you know, maybe uh, that, that's, that was my only hope with doing this it mm-hmm. wasn't for any kind of like popularity or anything like that it's just someone may pick up a tip on how to fish a bait you know differently from what they were doing um you know wakes i slow wake them i walk them glides i glide them super slow i'm constantly tuning them different ways to to certain rates of fall you know just stick with the baits, fish them. You'll eventually, you know, catch a hammer. Um, I'm going to jump into a real quick story and then give my shout outs. So we could be done. Um, oh, yeah, man. My, my good friend, Mike, I gave him an eight inch Kitek. And I know a lot of guys are going to be like, oh, you know, it's Kitek, blah, blah, blah. But we were supposed to go fishing the following day. He, he used to live right up the street from me. And I woke up that morning and I was having super bad lower back pains. And then I was, I was diagnosed with uh, degenerative disc disease, lumbar de- degenerative disc disease. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, every once in a while it flares up and I just, I, I couldn't get up off the couch. I woke up in the morning, I walked out, I, you know, I made a cup of coffee, I sat down on the couch and then I was stuck there and he ended up going fishing and caught like a nine plus. He didn't have a scale with him and I had turned the ringer off on my phone because it was a Sunday and oh. I was just trying to relax. Yeah. And this lake's only like 10 minutes down the street from my house. And I was so, so mad at myself. I turned the ringer off, 
but he had called me like three or four times back to back, you know, asking me to, or probably asking me to bring a scale down to weigh this fish. And I, I totally regret doing that, but you know, it, it could be your first time out with a big bait. It could be your hundredth time out with a big bait mm -hmm. and you can catch that one fish that you'll never forget. And you know, that I've had so many amazing experiences on the water, whether it was from the shore and my kayak or my bass boat with big baits and it's because i've stuck with them that's all i bring when i go on fun trips i don't bring any conventional gear i just throw big baits all day um it just you know it, it, if you're if you're fishing something and you're confident in the swim and you think that it's a fish catcher mm -hmm. but you're not getting bit on it switch up your style a little bit try something different instead of yeah. instead of reeling it fast slow reel it pause it walk it you know it and if you get a if you get a a short a short strike change your direction you know that's that's a big thing that i do in tournaments if i if i get a a bite i'll switch it up and come back to that fish 20 minutes later from a totally different direction. And I'll pull that bait across that fish from a different direction. And yep. it works a lot. It doesn't work all the time. It's not a foolproof plan, but it works a lot. Um, but yeah, just, just stick with the baits. And another thing I wanted to mention, anybody, you know, we, we talked about my path that I went down that dark road anybody dealing with with issues with um whether it's an addiction whether it's you know i see i also i deal with anxiety i deal with depression anybody that deals with anything like that having a bad day feel free to hit me up shoot me a shoot me a message on instagram or on facebook I'll give you my number. I tell people that all the time. I'd, I'd gladly, you know, talk about fishing or something just to get your mind off of it or, or dig into possibly the root of the problem. You know, I, I'm not saying that I have all the answers. I know I don't, but yeah. I'm always happy to help somebody out or attempt to help somebody out. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah, man. But uh but ending it because I know you probably wanna wanna get in and I'm see I'm I'm looking at my boat right now, my truck's backed <laughs> right up to it. Yeah, there you go. And the wind laid down, so I'm man, I'm definitely cool. thinking about going out and throwing this new rad wrap. Hell um, yeah. Dude. But yeah, I just uh I wanted to give a couple shout outs. Uh, definitely to my, you know, my, my family that supports me, my father, my girlfriend who puts up with me fishing all the time, my <laughs> stepson, Jace. I mean, you know, they, 
Heather and Jace, they, they deal with me fishing a lot. Yeah. So there, there are nice days where I'm fishing and I'm not spending time with the family, mm-hmm. but I do, I do try to make up for it. Um, but you know, that's just about every dedicated fisherman's yeah, story. Exactly. Yep. But Leviathan rods, you know, the whole crew, uh, whether they're in the manufacturing, the shipping, you know, everybody, Eric, Levi, Patrick, everybody in the crew, as well as my teammates, you know, they're all hammers. Mm -hmm. They all stick amazing fish. It's a, it's a great opportunity for me to be part of such an amazing team. The rods are, are, you know, second to none. I mean, I've never, I've fished a lot of different rods in my life. I was with St. Croix before I got picked up by Leviathan. And, uh, I, I feel like I became part of a family rather than just, another guy that they threw rods at just for fish pictures yeah yeah dude but, i mean they're they're good guys all the way around man uh they're love those guys they're they're the best uh eric will answer his phone all the time <laughs> talk to me you know i'm having bad days we'll talk for an hour and you know the end of the call it, you know, I, I, for, I forgot what my problem of the day even was. Right, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Rafa Bates. Rafa has, you know, he's been incredible to me over the past couple years, you know, allowing me to test all these different new baits that he's been coming out with. The guy's, uh, I mean, he's a madman. He doesn't leave his shop every single night. He's sending me a new picture like, yo, check out this new bait that I carved. And I'm like, dude, you got to slow down. I just started fishing (laughs) this one. But Mad Max swim baits, Jim and Judy, they've always been so kind to me since the, uh, the first gathering I attended, which was the gathering two. Mm -hmm. I met them. We've been amazing friends ever since. Um, great, great people, great bait builders. Uh, Mike Buka allowing me to test, you know, the shag glide, making great baits that I've won numerous tournaments on. Um, got a, you know, a couple painters, TJ Hatfield. He, you know, he's painted a lot of baits for me that have. You know, he's just exceeded my expectations. Like, he's an amazing painter. Um, as well as Dan from, you know, Clickbait. You know, he's done a yeah. couple baits for me that have just blown my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and he always jokes with me now because now my, you know, my most confident color is just like a raw resin. Yeah. <laughs> So he always breaks my balls about that, but, but yeah, Dan, Dan's another great guy, Brian Serval, you know, he, he allowed me to, to test the, 
the Boulder Creek Crawl, the the OG version. He also gave me an amazing trade on my first Rad Rat, which was that OG. Um, I think I traded him a soft tail for the Rad Rat, which, you know, if you were to try to do that on like Universe or any of the other pages, you would probably get more laughing reactions <laughs> yeah. than anything else. But yeah, Brian's a solid dude. We 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 talk all the time. Um recently Jeff from Top Shelf Tackle, you know, we we talked about colors of the Gizzard Wizard um that I wanted to fish. Like I explained earlier, he he was sending me pictures within 15 minutes of, you know, baits and we came up with colors that, you know, I liked and that I, I felt confident in, you know, Dioa suffix. Um, there's a whole bunch of other builders that have given me opportunities to fish their baits that I haven't put giant fish on yet mm -hmm. you know in in pennsylvania standards yeah but i've caught fish on them but yeah just you know everybody that's that's given me an opportunity to fish their baits i'm humbled by it i'm grateful and when when i got into reaching out to people um you know, when I first started fishing swim baits and tournaments and trying to like build sponsorships and stuff like that, I, I explained to everybody, like, I'm not in this, you know, for free baits. I'm looking to build relationships, like long-term relationships with people in this game. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I want to eventually step up to the next level. But yeah, my, my old man, you know, being supportive my whole life even through my struggles that you know just hearing him say he's proud of me today is it, it, it's everything you know yeah. after yeah. whether it whether it's you know after a big contract that i signed or after a tournament i won you know that that's everything to me I don't have a whole lot of family left in my life that uh that will call me or mm -hmm. speak to me for that matter. Yeah. You know, my fam my family's never been like a real close community, I I guess that's how you'd describe yeah. it. Like we've, I, I, we've never I, been like super tight. Yeah, yeah. I've been living on my own since I was pretty much 16. Mm. So but yeah, man, you know, I just, I, I love being a part of this community, um, fishing community, swim bait community, everybody treats me well, and I appreciate you having me on, and yeah, hope we can chat again, man. Yeah, dude, for sure. We'll, uh, we'll get you back on maybe, uh. Later in the fall, when the tournament starts to wind down, we'll talk about the success you had over the year and how you were finding that success and any big tournament stories that you have, and we'll uh, we'll have a good time. Full deal. Well, oh, hopefully yeah. I can uh, shoot you some fish pictures tomorrow morning. 
Yeah, dude. Because <laughs> I'm I'm definitely hitting the water, dude. I'm I'm looking at this moon. It's perfect. The wind laid down. I'm going out. Yeah, you can't beat that, man. But uh, I don't want to keep Sean any longer. So, uh, like I said, if you guys don't follow him on Instagram already, Apex Angler 27 on Instagram. That'll be in the show notes. You guys can follow him. I want to thank Sean for taking some time out of his very, very busy uh, family and fishing schedule on top of work. So we're gonna we're gonna cut it off and we're gonna let him go uh, catch some fish in the night. So I want to thank uh, I want to thank Sean for coming on. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and I will talk to you guys next time. See you guys.